Welcome to the Nun Report, bringing your regular dose of truth, freedom, and weirdness with your host, Dan Nunn. Thanks for tuning in to today's Nun Report. Hey, uh, hope you all had a great weekend. I know I did. We had some great weather out here in the Pacific Northwest. I'll tell you what, this country, this area out here, totally screwed politically, but uh, it is some of the most beautiful country in the world. It has uh, moderate temperatures. It has great seasons. Stay outside of the shithole of Seattle, and you're actually doing pretty well. You can find a lot of great things to do around the area. Great place to visit. Horrible place to live. And one of these days, I'm going to get out of here. We're going to, you know, several things happened over the weekend. We had the Iowa State Fair, which was great. That's where you start to really see the the field of candidates that are running for president. They get to give their stump speeches and meet people and you get to see who's popular, who's not. Of course, Donald Trump killed it. He always does. And it was great watching DeSantis try to leave uh, his thing. And after he spoke and the crowd is just chanting that they love Trump and they want Trump and on and on and on. In fact, DeSantis was spotted walking around the fairgrounds and people didn't even recognize him. You know, Rod, Rob, DeSantis, (laughs) they didn't even know. And so, you know, this one guy intentionally called him Ron or uh, Rod, excuse me, Rod, which I thought was funny. And that's kind of the thing. That's kind of the the take on him. Um, you have, of course, this week, there's a lot of speculation that uh, Georgia is going to indict Donald Trump. And that may be quite possibly be so. There's conflicting reports right now. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to put the Dan Bongino rule on this. But I am going to tell you, and that's waiting 24 hours, let things shake out, digest some information, get some factual information, and then I'll go ahead and comment on it. Uh, what we do know, I mean, some people are saying, that you know it's imminent that the that the charges are going to happen others are saying that a report's been filed others are saying not Fulton County itself has said there is nothing definitive on this at this time so but yet but then you have like Tim Pool and others reporting that you know there's that there's a docket filed and, and this and that so I don't know where that's at so I'm not going to really I will touch on Trump's legal issues and campaign issues in general but I'm not going to get specifically into the Georgia thing quite yet. I think that's something that's a little bit premature. Uh, perhaps by the time this show airs this afternoon, it won't be premature. But at any rate, I need time to digest the information so that I can do a good service to you and give you good information, good input, and good opinion based on facts. Okay? Not just headlines or sound bites. Which brings me up to my how I kind of want to start this. And I want to, I want to, I want to kick the, off this show. And I really want to... Please, please, please don't take this as a lecture. It's not. I want it to be motivational. And because some things, I've kind of been getting this feeling and I've seen people post things and I've seen it more and more where you have a a conservative America First Party that is becoming very, uh, very closed-minded, very intolerant of other viewpoints to the point where in some ways, It's hard to distinguish between that and the extreme commie Democrats. And we don't want that, people. We do not want that perception out there. You're walking right into exactly what they're saying. They're saying you're a, you know, when when you feed into that, all you're doing is helping their narrative that you're in a cult for Trump. And that's when I say that, you know, the the only Trumpers are, in, in many ways, not a lot different than the never Trumpers. And I'm going to give you some examples. If you, we can't, keep beating each other up. Okay. And one example was this weekend. And I want to make sure you understand this from very, very right now. I intend on voting for Donald Trump. 
I want him to be the nominee, and if he is, I will vote for him. So let's get that out of the way right here. But I do want to say that doesn't mean I don't have fun looking at other campaigns or that I don't learn and appreciate things from other campaigns. From Pence, no. From Ron, mm, not so much. There might be a little tidbit here and there. I think there's a little golden nugget, though, in everything. And we can learn from others. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I'm going to use him because he's an up-and-comer, and I've done a lot of deep dives into him. I'm not pushing him on you, okay? I don't want you to vote for him unless that's what you've decided to do. Vote for Trump. I'm going to if he's the nominee. What if he's not? But either way, Vivek Ramaswamy is running a very energized, very positive, very upbeat, very message-oriented with a spelled-out platform of how he will do what he wants to do, and he's very good at communicating it. Why would you not want to at least expose yourself to it? He's not the devil. He's not going to jump out of the screen and bite you. And he has some great ideas. He has conservative values. Why would you? Now, yes, be critical of those who are true rhinos. Be critical of those on the left. I'm not saying that. But if somebody has America first values and policies and methods via how to get to the solution, why would you not listen to it? I mean, do you want to stay ignorant of the facts? Do you want to not listen to all of the information that's out there and then form your own critical opinion based on all the information that's out there rather than just saying, you know what? If Donald Trump doesn't say it, I'm not listening. How does that make you any different than an extreme commie Democrat or a never Trumper? And um, like I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to lecture, but this bothers me and I, I don't think it's good I don't think it's good visually. I don't think it's a, a good optic for us to put out there that we're, we can have a robust primary and we should. And we can definitely get spirited in debate and we should. Having said that, don't close your mind to other information that's out there that's good. And even if it's not good, isn't it good to know thy enemy? So when you close your mind and, and allow yourself to be exposed only to one view at the exclusion of all others, in my opinion, and this is an opinion show, you're no different than some of the extreme commie Democrats or the never Trumpers. And you can like that or not, but as Jesse Kelly would say, you know I'm right. And so it's, it's, a, it's just a matter of taking in information. Guy came up this weekend. I was talking, I posted a video of uh, Vivek Ramaswamy rapping out some Eminem. Eminem, Eminem, Eminem. I'm not a big rap fan, okay? Never have been. But Vivek was having fun with it. He was doing something that was a break from the dreary, grueling campaign scene. He was up there on stage at the, at the Iowa State Fair rapping out some Eminem. It was great. I thought it was fun. I thought it was spur of the moment. I thought it was uh, engaging and it showed a lighter side of somebody who's running for a very serious office. This guy comes on to the thread and he says, uh, yeah, you know, Eminem is a never Trumper and he's a, you know, he's a total leftist liberal and Vivek lost all kinds of points with me. And I'm like, why? I mean, keep in mind, I mean, he, 
Vic's only 38 years old. He probably listened to Eminem in high school with his buddies. They probably, you know, rocked out to it. I guess you don't rock out to rap. Do you rap out to it? I don't know what you do. But anyway, it was probably music he enjoyed as a youth, something that stuck in his head, something that spurs up good memories. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're going to exclude somebody only because they listen to a type of music that you don't like or they listen to a type of watch a movie you don't like or the the people this wasn't even that he didn't even he didn't even bash vivek what he said was because we it continued was that vivek by promoting eminem that he wouldn't listen to him at all he was a you know he, he would never vote for somebody that would promote somebody who was a never trumper so it wasn't that he didn't like Eminem, it was it. So it wasn't about the music that Vivek was listening to. It was about the fact that the artist that wrote that music doesn't like Trump. If you're going to base your entertainment values based on that alone, you're not going to be watching or listening to very much of anything. I mean, seriously, I'm a I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. Okay, I love Pearl Jam. I grew up in the '90s in Seattle, in the grunge scene. I was there. Okay? And there's not a bad song on the album 10, not one. Now, Pearl Jam is an extremely leftist activist band. They always have been. But are we going to really be that superficial where we're going to start judging people off of what kind of music they listen to? I can separate the music I enjoy to listen to, the music I enjoy to play as a musician, and my politics. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And, and I would encourage you to do a little self-examination if that's what you, if that's how you roll, if that's what you think. By the way, hey, if you, if you don't want to watch my show or, or listen to me because I happen to be a fan of Pearl Jam, who's a massively leftist band, I don't want you to follow me. And, and I say that with mixed emotions because I do want people to follow me. I even want lefties to follow me. But if you're, if you're so closed-minded that you're going to completely shut somebody out and the information that they might be sharing simply because the music they listen to doesn't like Trump. That says a lot more about you than it does me. And uh, that was a 10 minute monologue that I did not necessarily plan on, but I did want to get it out there. And, and, and I, I'd, I'd ask you to please consider it. I'm not going to rehash a lot of stuff last week about DC Drano bashing Vivek and with a bunch of falsehoods, by the way, none of it was true. But, uh, you know, I just go back to research, find the truth, search, search out, search out multiple sources, go to multiple news sources. If you do it in the middle of the night, three or four in the morning, you can get some good stuff before it gets scrubbed. Go to foreign news sources. Get all this information together. Listen to multiple podcasts on the same topic. Compile it. Research it. And then form your own opinion based on your ideals and your ethics. But you have to do it from a, a, a well-rounded source of information. You're never going to find the truth if you only listen to one source because every source, every source is wrong sometimes. But we were talking about music. So while the, while the political rock stars were up in up in Iowa doing their thing, an up-and-coming rock star was over in the Carolinas doing his. And that was the crowd at the farmer's market. And of course, I'm, I'm talking about Oliver Anthony, who's, who's 
anthem to America, Americans and the workers in America has, uh, has gone completely viral. Nine million views on YouTube so far. Man, it's only been there for five days. Nine million views. Are you kidding me? And he had uh, nine songs in the top 25 of iTunes US, three in the top 10. So the one song spurred on his other things. But anyway, he played this. I'm not going to play the whole song, but I do want to play part of it because I just thought it was, again, this is a great story. This is a God shot. This is a great witness to our Lord. And that is, a little over a month ago, this guy broke down on his knees in tears, turned to God, put down the bottle. And a month later, he got a God strike. Nobody knew who this guy was. Now everybody knows who this guy is. The first time he played this farmer's market back in June, or I don't know if that was the first time, but he played it back in June. He said there was about 20 people there. And uh, you just saw a shot of the crowd. But let's, uh, let's just listen to a couple of minutes of this song, shall we? Yeah. It's worth it. Nobody knew this song a few days ago. Keep that in mind. Nobody, you know, except for people, all of them. But, uh, sit out here in the heat like this and listen to a couple of boys from Virginia. Oh, really, we really do love you. And, Anyway, go find it on YouTube. You can watch the whole video there, and it's all over Facebook and Twitter as well. So, um, But anyway, what a motivational thing, right? That's positive. That's a, that's a boycott. This is not a boycott. Here's a guy who came up with a great piece of music. You know, and he was just humble. He was out there after that set for hours, shaking the hands, signing the, the hats, getting pictures with every single fan who wanted one. They were in line for as far as you could see, wrapping around a building. And Oliver Anthony, in his humbleness and in his moment, sat there in the sweltering heat until every single person that wanted an autograph, a picture, or just to say hi or tell their story got it. How cool is that? You're not going to see that from rock stars. And, uh, which he, he's going to be. He's going to be a star if things go right. Hopefully he can capitalize on this launch 
because that's what this is, man. This is a huge springboard into the stratosphere. And let's hope that he's not a shooting star. Let's hope that he is a bright light that burns forever. You know, and he had he had to say, you know, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm speechless. Thank you. No, Oliver, Anthony, thank you. Thank you for writing that song. Thank you for having the guts to say what you say and sing what you wrote. And thanks for sharing your talent that God gave to you with the rest of us. That's what I have to say. And uh, going to follow that guy. It's always fun to follow people, right? Of course, Rolling Stone, they had to come out and say, right-wing influencers just found their favorite new country song. Do, do, do. The biggest liberal, worthless propaganda rag ever. Rolling Stone, remember when they used to be cool, like about music back in the 70s and 80s, and every, you know they were great, they actually had stories, and they weren't just an arm of the fucking, excuse me, freaking leftist Democrat party. In Richmond, north of Richmond, a singing farmer in Virginia blasts high taxes and obese people on welfare, and even appears to allude to Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, horrible, horrible. <laughs> All true things, by the way. My buddy Sean Farish, this is on the uh, along the same lines. What we're talking about is, you know, use critical thought, do a little bit of research, find the truth, and be proactive and positive. Because look, I feel it. I think that a lot of other people feel it. There is a cultural shift that's happening right now. I alluded, I said it, in fact, on on one of my shows last week that there was a. There was an axis, you know, the earth moves its axis every once in a while. And so do politics and so do societies and cultures. And Sean said massive cultural shift happening, massive. From Ivan Provorov in the NHL to Bud Light being canceled to Disney getting crushed, the sound of freedom is scaring the crap out of the rich men north of Richmond. And I'm here for it. Sing louder. Amen, Sean. Preach, brother. All the way. And, um, and he's absolutely right. I feel it. When you, when you see things like Sound of Freedom happening and going viral and busting out, that's a, that's a grassroots thing that, make that makes that happen. That is not massive production. That's not massive promotion. Same thing with Oliver Anthony and Richmond up over Richmond. That is grassroots. That is America speaking. That is the Christian or conservative right or just plain common sense independence that are tired of the commie BS that's getting crammed down our throat from this Biden regime. And uh, so, man, we got stuff to be positive about. I think that there's going to be a big shift. In 2024, man, it, it is... You know, every every election is important, and, and we always spout that, oh, this is the most important election ever. But look around you and what's going on. And, and I think that this one, this one truly is. So Vivek Ramaswamy, I got to touch on him. He was at a, uh, he was, of course, in, at the Iowa State Fair. He, he gave his stump speech, went around glad-handing and, and meeting people. A, a journalist activist who is pansexual, asked him a question, tried to maybe bait him into something that he couldn't answer. But so far, I haven't seen Vivek unable to answer anything and answer it well. And the guy is just extremely well-informed. He's very well-spoken. And I don't think that's a negative. I think it's a positive. 
He's not Donald Trump. That's a completely different way of communicating. And that works too. That's good. Again, they're not mutually exclusive. Vivek has some good ideas. He has a great platform. Not only that, he has it written out on how to get there. Check out his website. Even if you don't plan on voting for him, as I don't plan on voting for him, the information is good. And it can give you hope for the America First movement post-Trump. Trump's not going to live forever. He can only be in office for four years. Then what? Vivek is 38 years old. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's somebody else. But why would you ignore anybody like that? A guy who's got some good stuff. And I hope that you'll check him out. This is how he responded to the reporter's question. I hope you can hear it. Check it out. I was just wondering, um, what were your opinions on the LGBTQ community? Well, I don't think it's one community. Really? Yeah. I mean, how could it be? Just mash. So she asked, what is your opinion on the LGBTQ plus community? And he immediately responded, well, I don't, I don't think it's one community. Um, I mean, by definition, it's not. And uh, so let's start over again. Check it out. Together in alphabet soup. Trans is fundamentally in tension with gay, if you ask me. But what's your opinion? I'm personally a pansexual, so I was okay. just wondering what your views on same-sex couples were. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against a tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority, we have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man in a swim competition. I don't think that somebody who's a woman that respects her bodily autonomy and dignity should be forced to change clothes in a locker room with a man. That's not freedom, that's oppression. And so I believe that we live in a country where free adults should be free to dress how they want, behave how they want, and that's fine. But you don't oppress, you don't become oppressive by foisting that on others. And that especially includes kids, because kids aren't the same as adults. And so I think adults are free to make whatever choices they want. But do not foist that ideology onto children before children are in a position as adults to make decisions for themselves. And so I think a lot of the frustration in the country, and if I'm being really honest, that I also share, comes from that new culture of oppression where saying those things can actually get somebody punished. And in my case, it's part of why it's my responsibility to say them. And I respect that you may have a different opinion, and that's okay. Part of what makes our country great is that you and I can be civil and have this conversation, and that we live in a country that still gives us, each of us, the right to speak you know, to a presidential candidate and back and still say that we pledge allegiance to the same nation. So I think that's the beauty of our country, and that's my honest opinion. Awesome. Well, Thanks. thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for your civility as well. Yeah. I that could have very easily been a conflicting situation, and it could have been there could have been conflict. But Vivek, he it, it, he diffused any he, he immediately diffused any sort of conflict by saying really quick his opinion and then saying what's yours. So you engage with the other person, ask for them, let them talk. And you listen for a minute and then respond. And that's exactly what he did. And then he spoke truth. He spoke softly. He spoke from his heart. And while that person being a pansexual and part of what she or he thinks, whatever it is, uh, did not interrupt him. Here he is just at the fair talking to this person and it was caught on tape. And uh, he just, very softly spoken, very well 
spoken, stated his position. And then what did he do? What did he do? He thanked her. And she thanked him, shook his hand. And then he said, thank you for your civility. And how sad is that? That in today's political climate, that civility with somebody that you are in opposition with on viewpoints is rare. In fact, so rare that when it's expressed and when there is civil discourse, like we just saw right there, then it's pointed out because it's so rare. Thank you for your civility, Vivek said. And uh, does that, shouldn't, that, that should be like the norm, right? Not the exception. Kind of goes back to how I kicked off the show, don't you think? I'm going to give one more clip of Vivek and then we're going to move on. I do have several other things to cover, including we're going to talk a little bit about the, the fire in Maui. I'm not going to make any conclusions. I'm not going to say what started it, but I am going to try, but I'm going to try, try to respect, of course, the loss and the tragedy that happened there. But I, I feel like I do need to cover it um, to some extent from, a, from an environmental standpoint, because, of course, they're going off the deep end saying it was an environmental uh, issue when it wasn't. So, but before we go there, uh, one more clip here from Vivek. And I may, I'm probably not going to play this whole thing. It's about four minutes. You can find all these on my social. I put most of them up just because, again, information is good. Arm yourself with information. You're stronger for it. You're smarter for it. And you're more able to articulate your points because of it. Thomas and Bettendorf wants to know what's your plan to reduce the size of government, especially with the number of government employees. How do you how do you tackle that? Is it possible? Yes, it is. Yay! Yes, it is. is we demonstrate it question. is possible. Look yes, to the states. Yes. Yes, we not. A yes, we can. Yes, we will. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but then I'm going to more importantly tell you how I'm going to do it, because I know I'm in Iowa. <laughs> you guys demand the details. So the first thing is my first term in office, 75% headcount reduction across the federal employee base, 50% done in the first year. Take the government agencies that should not exist, from the FBI to the IRS to the ATF to the CDC to the Department of Education. Get in there and shut them down. That is how we revive the integrity of a constitutional republic. You know, if I'm the U.S. president, that's... Your choice, not mine. But if you all put me there and I can't work for you for more than eight years, which I think is a good thing, then neither should any of those bureaucrats reporting into me. Yeah. Yeah. Term limits for the bureaucrats. That's what he's saying. And, and, and then he calls for it shortly after that. I, I should let it run a little bit, little bit further. But he says, um, but it's a long clip. It's like four minutes. I wasn't going to play the whole thing. Uh, that that there should be term limits for the bureaucrats. First of all, he's going to get rid of 70% of them, 50% in the first year, because you cannot believe the amount of waste and duplicitous BS there is in the bureaucratic machine that has been built, the industry that has been built around Washington, D.C., and the political elite and the political powers and the lobbyists and all of that crap. It's scary. And a lot of it's unnecessary because so much of it is duplicitous and so much of it is, is unnecessary. Regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. You only need one. But uh, he's talking about getting rid of 70% of the bureaucrats, put, uh, putting them onto term limits. So if you're hired into a, in, into a position like that, CDC, uh, whatever, 
eight years, you're out. You don't get to be there forever. Because what these people do is politicians come and go. Presidents and administrations come and go. These bureaucrats, they sit there for their entire freaking life. And so when a new president comes in and wants to change things, a lot of these people are just kind of going, eh, whatever. Yeah, new guy, new idea. He'll be gone. I'll still be here, and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And that's what they do. So you get rid of the most corrupt Altogether, the FBI is one. The Department of Education is another. Completely useless and worthless test scores since since that was uh, put into place by Jimmy Carter. Test scores have done nothing but fall, and they've fallen steadily in consistency across the board. Department of Education has destroyed public education. In fact, I, one could argue, one could make that argument pretty damn easily, actually. So anyway, moving on, let's take a look at the Let's take a look at how important the, the tragedy in Maui is to your executive branch. There's Joe Biden on the beach. Um, by the way, he's, he's taken off to uh, Tahoe for another week of vacation after this. And there's uh, Kamala Harris cackling her way out of a $10,000 a plate fundraiser in, in Martha's Vineyard. This is what they were doing this weekend while Maui was burning. None of, neither one of them have come out and made a statement on it yet. And in fact... Biden said no comment. And I mean, can you believe that? Look at this. This is, this is, he's asked, do you have a statement to make on the loss of life and the escalating death toll in Maui? He says no comment. He could have said, we're going to make a statement on that later. Um, he could have said, you know, we have something on that. It's going to be at the presser next week. Or he could have said, uh, he could have said any number of things except for no comment. But the problem is, I don't think he had a comment. I think that Joe Biden only gets to say things that have been pre-approved by his handlers, that someone has written down, that he has studied, that he has been coached on. They do not want him speaking off the cuff on a single thing. I think that's what happened. I think that he just hadn't been fed the soundbite yet. He hadn't been given the script and told what to say. So he's been told, and this is just conjecture on my part, he's been told, Joe, if you haven't been given the information, if you haven't been told what to say on a particular topic, you are to say no comment. And I think that's that. That's that's what we see right here. Check it out. Will you come talk about the Hawaii response, Mr. President? Uh, nothing. There. No, no, I'm not going to talk about it. No comment. No Hawaii response. No nothing. By the way, he still hasn't gone to East Palestine either, even though he promised he was going to do that as well. That's died, right? That's months ago. So uh, could you imagine if, if Trump was in office and responding that nonchalantly? Did you see the smirk too? No comment. That, that Biden smirk that he has, shrugs it off, gets in his limo. That's a, that's a horrible optic. And again, there's any number of things he could have said besides no comment. They would at least let people know, hey, we'll be making a statement on that later. That's all he had to say. But no comment. People died. Over 100 people so far. The governor of Hawaii came out, had this to say. This is, I mean, this is a tragedy beyond scope. It's a, it's a tragedy for a lot of reasons. A lot of beautiful, of course, first and foremost, tons of property or uh, Lives were lost a lot. And, and the hospital was overwhelmed with burn victims. Fortunately, the hospital did not burn, right? Um, but 
the property, a lot of it owned by locals, is now destroyed. Big corporations have been trying to come in there and absorb this property and commercialize it for decades. They may get their wish. I don't know if that plays into it. I'm not going to make any comments. I'm not going to draw any conclusions on it. I'm going to give it a little bit of time. But this is what the governor of Hawaii had to say about it. Apparently, there's a thing called fire hurricanes now, and it's all because of climate change, of course. What else would it be because of? What was happening was this. It was a fire hurricane. And I want to warn the entire planet about this, all of America and all of the world. We were experiencing very, uh, very dry conditions, drought conditions because of global warming, which <laughs> is Bullshit. obviously very real for us here and everywhere. In addition to those uh, drought conditions and uh, difficulties with water management, because there's just not enough water here in our islands, we then had the penumbra of a hurricane. Hurricane Dora had just passed south of us, leaving 60 mile per hour winds still with gusts up to 81 miles per hour. So what happened was when fire jumped from one spot to another, there were three or four fires going on at the same time. It got seeded very quickly with those 80 mile per hour gusted winds. And then the fire moved essentially at a, a mile uh, per minute, mm. 60 miles an hour down through the community. And that's, that's what a fire hurricane is gonna look in the era of global warming. And so we have to all do right now, right now what we can to stop global warming and reverse. In the era of global warming, we now have to worry about fire hurricanes. But is that true? See, I did a little research and, and I came up with some, some receipts from reliable sources. And I'm going to show them to you because that's not true at all. And, uh, and it's not like Hawaii hasn't experienced droughts before because they have. They're on an island surrounded by salt water. Of course, they've had droughts before. Of course, they've had water shortages before. Worse than this. Worse than this year. This is not record setting. This is nothing new. The loss is massive. Not as massive of a fire in Idaho in the year 1910. Tragedies like this unfortunately happen. It's not it's not all because of climate change. I'm sorry. It's not because of global warming. Here's the reality of it. There are fewer fires happening now than there have been in many years. But the news coverage has increased. And so you think, oh, everything's burning. There's far more fires. The truth is NASA satellite data shows that the world burns ever less area, but the news media now writes 400% more about wildfires, 400% more. Maybe that's why everybody's so scared. They prose. The sources on the bottom of this, I know you can't probably read it on your screen, you can take a screenshot and zoom in. But uh, this is NASA data. Wildfires in reality, that's the orange line you see there, have gone down. And this is a burned area uh, in years, a percentage of land. So the percentage of land that's been burned in wildfires has gone from about 2.9% in the year 2000 to 2.2% in 2020. It's been steadily declining in fact, as far as the amount of land that's been burned, during that same period of time, the coverage, the amount of coverage given 
to, to, to these fires has increased by of any fire has increased by 400%. But the fact is less land is burning, not nearly as much land is burning. We have less fires today burning less land than we have had in decades. That's the fact. The global warming is not causing us to have more fires. If that were true, we'd actually be having more fires, you know, but we're not, we're having less. We're having less. Tony Heller, great, great follow on Twitter. He, he's a, he, a climate expert and he, he will show you all the information that the mainstream climate experts that are paid by the leftist propaganda machine won't, okay? He's, and he bases stuff off solid, solid sources. So uh, worth giving him a follow. The 2,000 acres which burned in Maui are less than 0.2% of U.S. burned acreage this year. Not to be insensitive, but just factual information here on the burn itself. which is at a historic low. Less land is burning now. It's a historic low. Not high. You just have, like I said, more media coverage, like I, I pointed out in the last slide. To put that in perspective, during August 1910, about 3 million acres burned in Idaho and Montana in less than 48 hours. Hmm. So you mean this sort of thing has happened before? In fact, maybe even something far worse? It's not new. It's not because of global warming and climate change. Not unless global warming and climate change was happening the same as it's happening now in 1910. But the fact is, these have happened before. Hurricanes happened before. They're going to continue to happen in the future. And there's not a thing you or I can do to change that. There's simply not. On August 20th, 1910, about 3 million acres of Idaho and Montana burned in six hours. Most of what was destroyed fell to hurricane force winds that turned the fire into a blowtorch. And this is from the, uh, uh, this is from the government geological, uh, uh, that's slipping my tongue right now. I'm not gonna, my receipts are always posted. Anyway, by August, normally swift running rivers had slowed to a crawl in many streams that were having drought in Idaho and Montana, it disappeared into a bedrock. A bad electrical storm the night of July 15th touched off a large fire, a, a large number of fires in Northern Idaho in one of the largest forest fires in American history, maybe even one of the largest forest fires ever anywhere in the world. No one knows for sure, but even now, it is hard to put into words what it did. For two terrifying days and nights, August 20th to 21st, 1910, the fires raged across 3 million acres of virgin timberland in northern Idaho and western Montana. Many thought the world would end, and for 86 fire victims, it did. Most of that was destroyed. Most of what was destroyed fell to hurricane force winds that turned the fire into a blowtorch. Reconstructing what happened leads to an almost impossible conclusion. Most of the devastation occurred within a six-hour period. So these perfect storms do happen, and throughout history, they have. You get high winds, fire lights off, the winds cause it to jump and get seed several other fires, and then bam. You've got a massive high force wind pushing fires across a ton of acreage. So, no, the Maui fire is not unique. Uh, it's unique in that it destroyed a lot of very valuable property and the loss of life is going to be higher than, of course, it would be in the uh, backcountry of Idaho and Montana in the year 1910. And that's tragic. But to use that tragedy and use the loss of life that has occurred to try to promote your own political agenda is chicken shit. 
And that governor of Hawaii is a piece, piece of shit, okay? He's sitting there taking a massive tragedy before people have even mourned, before people are even buried. They're still pulling bodies out of the rubble. And he's sitting there blaming climate change. He's pushing his, he's using the, the deaths of hundreds and the destruction of, of, of a ton of beautiful property, billions of dollars worth, as a tool to advance his own BS agenda of climate hoax. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And it's funny the things that come across that I've <laughs> New York Post. Trash found at bottom of untouched water in huge ocean hole. Starkest reminder of the dangers of climate change. Really? Trash in the ocean is because of climate change? I didn't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If somebody has any information that can give to me to tell me that trash in the ocean is because of climate change, I'm all ears, man. I'm right here. Send me a message. DM me your information on how trash in the ocean is because of climate change. Good Lord, these people. Speaking of climate change, here's a little tidbit for you. Annual CO2 emissions, those two little lines on the bottom, that's Europe and the United States. These are billion metric tons. We put out about, uh, oh, we, in fact, it's gone down in recent years uh, to about 4 billion. Look at that line that goes straight up. Guess where that is? I, you're a smart audience. The people who listen to the show are smart, above average, smart. Asia, of course. Of course it's Asia. If I had a live chat, everybody would be screaming at me, China, 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 Asia, Asia, Asia. Maybe one of these days I will take this show live. Let me know. Do you want me to take this show live? I could do it. You know, my biggest problem with doing a live show, and this is horrible, but I'm going to be honest with you because that's who I, that's who I am. That's who I want to be. I always want to be audio, honest with my audience. And that is, I don't want to commit to a certain time every day. I'm sorry. Call it selfish. Call it whatever. I like to record when the information strikes. I like to record when I'm ready to give you the best show and the best information possible from a knowledgeable informed and motivated perspective. I don't want to come up here and talk about something just because I'm in that time slot to do it. And so therefore you have to come up with an hour of stuff to talk about some of which you may not even care about, or you have to expound on it's a slow news day. So you have to expound and you know, not a lot's happening and then bam, it's sure, sure as shit. As soon as you do that, something's going to break right when your show is over. Anyway, so I like to, I like to, uh, you know, strike when it's hot. And, and bring my show to you when I'm in the best place with the best information to give it to you. Uh, but if you, want to, if you want me to go live, maybe I could do like a live show once a week. Maybe I could do um, Midweek Dan or, uh, or Freeform Friday, something where I can come on and I'm going to do, I'll commit to doing one live show a week and we'll see, and I would do it on Rumble and then we'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. So if you want me to do that, message me, let me know. I'd love to see it. Uh, Biden's getting ready to be thrown under the bus when you start to see Democrats go after him and, and in the way that they are, they do not want them. They do want, do not want Biden to run because he, he is, uh, he's a liability right now. And, uh, Senator Dean or not Senator representative Dean Phillips, I don't want to elevate him too much, uh, but he is a Democrat and also Raskin has come out and said, you're starting to see when you start to see Democrats talk about Biden, not maybe not being the choice or the right choice, you know, you've got issues with the party and, you also saw an article out where is, is Michelle Obama going to seek the presidency? The media is not putting this out there without the express 
directive from the editors who get their marching orders, of course, from the DC establishment. This is what uh, Dean Phillips has to say. Check it out. Welcome to the press. Good to be with you. Chief. If I sum this up right, you are not interested in being a candidate for president technically yourself right now, or are you? That's a fair statement. Okay. What, what I'm technically and legitimately doing is representing. I'm a representative, and I'm representing what I believe to be the majority of the country that wants to turn the page. I would like to see Joe Biden, and a, a wonderful and remarkable man, yeah. pass the torch, uh, cement this extraordinary legacy. You don't want him to run for re-election. I, be- I believe what's in the best interest of the country and by the way, this is not how everybody thinks, but I do believe a majority wants to move on. I hear the time. It's about how people feel. People want to turn the page. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. As a Democrat, I adore Joe Biden. He saved this country. He can cement his legacy. My real call to action right now is not about me. The call to action is to ask the president to pass the torch. There is an extraordinary bench, extraordinary bench of people ready to go, proximate, who, who would you prepared, like to see in position. He can cement his legacy. Pass the torch. He says, then this one, Joe Biden right now is down seven points in the four swing states that will decide the next election. He has historically low approval numbers, Chuck. There are about 55 percent of Democrats would like to see an alternative. I can keep going down the list. Everything you're saying, we've all heard in private. Everything you say, we've all heard in private as well. That means this has been going around in private circles in the media and in D.C., for a while. This is nothing new. This is something they've already been talking about. And and at some point, I've been saying for months that I don't believe that Joe Biden will end up being the nominee and running in 2024. And I still stand by that, but this is nothing new. Again, I've been saying it for months. If they've been just now, you know, we've been talking about it in private, Chuck Todd said, of course you have. It's obvious, right? But the question is, who's going to have the talk with Joe? Who's going to, who's going to be, is it going to be Jill? Is it, you know, the one who wanted the power to begin with? Who's going to go and have that talk with Joe and say, dude, um, it's time to cement your legacy and pass the torch. One more clip. Would she, in your mind, be the heir apparent if for some reason Regarding the President Kamala. of the United States were not to seek the nomination in 2024? I'm glad you asked the question. And my answer is really simple. Competition. As many people as humanly possible with the talent, the time, the energy, the ethics to enter a primary should do it. We have 12 Republicans as options for Republican primary voters. Right now, we only have three in the Democratic side. I believe in competition. We're the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Democracy means the freedom to make choices, and we don't have many. And that kind of brings me full circle. Back to the beginning. We've got a broad field of Republican candidates running for office, okay? God, Tim Scott, I mean... Vivek Ramaswamy, it's not just Trump. There are several others that have some good stuff. And hopefully, when Trump is elected, they will get a position in the cabinet. I, I would rather Vivek, my opinion, have a high position, high-level high cabinet position than be vice president. Why? Because I think he can affect policy more from that position than he could as being a placeholder as vice president. Um, Tim Scott, I believe the same thing. I think that he would be more effective and, and provide more for this country in a high-level cabinet position rather than vice president for Trump. Now, who knows what's going to happen, right? Time will tell. But again, we have a very robust field of candidates, and they're going to get on the debate stage. And I urge you, I urge everybody to please 
just just take your blinders off. Let a little bit of that information that's not coming out of Trump's mouth enter your mind. Use some critical thought. Grab the golden nuggets that make sense to you and throw the rest away. That's all you've got to do. And that's what it, disseminating information is about. And as sentient, rational human beings, and I like to think that those of us on the right and the conservative America first right in particular are a little better at that process than the extreme commie Democrats. So as I did at the beginning of the show, I'm going to urge you one more time, keep an open mind, accept good information because there's a lot of it out there. It's not just Vivek. Don't dismiss it just because, <laughs> just because the person happens to listen to an artist that doesn't support Trump. It's ridiculous. I think there are a little more substantive issues to base the idea you know, your decision on who you're going to vote for for president of the United States than the music they listen to or who that artist does or does not like in politics. Don't you think? Anyway, hey, thanks for listening. If you've just been uh, on one of the podcasts or Renegade Radio, make sure to check me out on rumble.com slash the nun report. You can find everything right there. One stop, one shop. Uh, I'm on all the socials. Or, or no, that, that's rumble.com slash the Nun Report. That's all my videos, right? All my videos are there. I'm on all the socials at the Nun Report except TikTok because I don't do that commie BS. This is live. I record live. I'm not live live, but I'm, I only get one take. So you're going to see mistakes sometimes. That was one. <laughs> anyway, all the socials at the Nun Report uh, except for TikTok. I don't do that commie BS and Twitter because I couldn't get the, so on Twitter, I'm just at Nun Report. My website is thenunreport.com, and that is where you can get everything all in one place. Anyway, hey, thanks again for watching, and as always, until next time, may the odds be ever in your favor. Cheers. 